The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world, unafraid to throw over to first base a third time. I am Jordan Schusterman. No, I am not Jake Mintz, but this is indeed our first regular season Barbacast. No need to go anywhere. You might be confused. Why isn't Jake talking? Allow me to clear up the confusion. You are on the right podcast. Uh, unfortunately, Jake will not be joining us on today's episode um, as his grandmother passed away over the weekend. He has some familial obligations uh, in the earlier part of the week. So we are, of course, sending our love to the Mintz Greenfeld family. And Jake will uh, hopefully be back later on this week, uh, probably on Wednesday's show and should be good to go for the live show on Saturday in Baltimore. So that is the situation. Just wanted to clear that up. But with that in mind, uh, of course, we're thinking of Jake and his family, and he will be back soon. But with that in mind, he told me, hey, go do the podcast. Go find a co-host. Go find a pinch potter for today. And there is no one I'd rather have than Mr. Craig Goldstein, the editor-in-chief of Baseball Perspectives. Craig, welcome to Baseball Barbacast, my new co-host. Hello, Craig. How are you? I'm doing well, Jordan. How are you? I am great. Now, people wonder, what, Craig? He hasn't even been on this show yet. What, what's so great about Craig? Well, we are coming up on the 10-year anniversary. God. <laughs> Craig is shaking his mm-hmm. head. The 10-year anniversary of Barbacast 1, the OG episode uno of Podcast with me and Jake. And our guest on that show was indeed our good friend, Craig. Craig is now a father. Craig is now a homeowner. Craig is now an adult. But most importantly, Craig is our friend, and Craig was happy to join me today to recap the first few days of the season. And in addition to that, in addition to me liking Craig a lot, I wanted to find someone who I enjoy talking to about baseball and who watched a lot of baseball since the season began. And Craig, I understand you fit those qualifications. Is that true? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, up to you on on how much you like me. But I, on the baseball front, certainly, I... I um... I mean, much to my family's chagrin, honestly. But yes, I took in a lot of baseball this weekend in person on TV. Uh, I did it all, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm ready to talk about it. I, I do also need to note that I feel like you you uh, in replacing Jake, you stayed in the Bethesda baseball uh, kind of talent pool. Yes. No, we had to keep the uh, we had to keep the area codes uh, the same, if not very similar, just to be safe. Um, but yes, so uh, the first half of the show is going to be a, an earnest reaction to the first few days of the new rules, mostly pitch clock, because sure, we talked about it before spring, during spring, but we, we weren't lying to you. We weren't watching spring training. Like that wasn't happening. So, <laughs> so we also knew that the new rules were not really going to fully kick in and, and feel real until we were watching games that counted. And so we want to talk about the pitch clock, what it felt like in person, because as you mentioned, Craig, you went to, uh, I believe, the Nationals game yesterday. I was yep. at opening day in Cincinnati. So we wanted to talk about what the pitch clock has felt like in person, what the pitch clock has felt like on TV, and just all some other miscellaneous uh, goofiness that has, <laughs> has come out of <laughs> the new rules. Uh, then, because Craig is a Dodgers fan, I know we talked a lot about the Dodgers on the preseason uh, shows about just how interesting they are. We wanted to kind of check in on the on the Dodgers, who are are what they're. I guess they're two and two. Two um, and two. So you know, five hundred Dodgers. I mean, everyone time to panic. But no, we want to. Well, even before this this weekend series, wanted to get Craig's take on, on the Dodgers because he is a Dodgers fan whose opinion I greatly value. And then uh, at the end, we are just going to kind of rapid fire through some of our favorite moments 
of the first few days. But Craig, let's begin with the pitch clock, pitch timer. Let's just start there with some minutia. Why do they care? What, what, how would you d- describe the difference between pitch timer and pitch clock? Why does that matter? Is this something that you've already thought about? Because I keep seeing people angrily correcting that it is actually the pitch timer and not the pitch clock. What is the difference? To yeah. You? Yeah. I, well, I guess because it counts down. Like it hits zero. Mm. Like a clock just keeps track of time, whereas a timer... Okay, reduces until it hits zero. I, yeah. I saw I saw that kind of floating around on <laughs> online, and I was kind of like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." And then I saw like a third person correct someone, and I thought it doesn't make that much sense. Like it's not that important. <laughs> right. You don't but like we right. don't need to go that far. Like yes, technically true, which is mm-hmm. you know technically correct. I know the best kind of correct, but yes, also as an just, editor, you know that. <laughs> let's just keep it to ourselves. You know what I mean? Like it's not that important. Exactly. And I feel like we we've we've already arrived at that at that stage. Uh but so let's let's talk about let's talk about it in person because that's what's fresh. You just saw yeah. a game. First of all, this was a historic game for you beyond just the fact that it was a pitch clock. And I don't know if you had been to a minor league game with the pitch clock before, but we'll keep it on, on the major league focus. Um this was, I understand, your first game since in person since before COVID. And that is related yeah. to the other historic moment of the game yesterday, <laughs> which you can now share. <laughs> Yeah. So, so as Jordan mentioned, I, I, I am a father. I, my son was born uh, about a month before everything shut down in 2020. Uh, so I did not get out there a ton for a very long time. Uh, and so I didn't go to any, obviously 2020 was impacted. I, I had not been to a game, uh, as Jordan said, since, since my son was born. And so we got to take him for the first time. He's already baseball obsessed, which I love, but was not, you know, like he can do whatever he wants. I'm not, I don't care. Uh, but, but he is, he's mimicking pictures when I'm watching on TV, stuff like that. So yesterday was a big one. He was clapping after every pitch, regardless of who threw it. Uh, he, the, the, the bullpen cart was the huge, huge winner. Absolutely just took down a hot dog it was really for a three-year-old uh, a really positive big big time experience so which, uh, which yeah that was that was very fun to your point though i mean again pandemic probably general net negative on the world but yeah i'm gonna say i'm gonna say on the minus side of the yeah world. on the minus side but you know if we're, if we're looking for silver linings here three years you know if you had took him when he was six months you know there's really no you know there's a world where maybe you trying to bring him in 2020 no covid oh, whatever totally and and he's just a baby at a baseball game, right? There's no engagement. There's no interaction. It's just like he's there and he's yeah. maybe soaking in the sounds and the smells and, and all the, the heckling, whatever, right? But generally, now three years old, like now we can start he's to experience en- it. enjoying yeah. what's happening. So I feel like that's great. Also, holy shit, he's three. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> sorry, that's I a agree, personal, by the personal way. side note. Anyway, but with that in mind that you were obviously focused on being a parent of a child at a baseball game. You yeah. also watched a baseball game with the pitch timer. I'm going to say yeah. pitch clock again, but pitch timer for the purpose of this. Um, what did it feel like? Uh, did you notice? Like, what were some things that felt different? I know, again, it's been a while since you had, had attended a game, but you know, if it didn't feel different, you, you can say that. But what, what what did you feel different at being at a game with pitch clock? You definitely notice it. I mean, like you you notice it, like physically, it like it's there. It's in a bunch of spots. Um, there it's behind home plate it's out in center field that kind of thing i you know i i went with my family and we said oh yeah there it is that's it's keeping track and then it's gone like you don't notice it other than like oh we're in the seventh inning and it's been an hour and 45 minutes like that's different that's new um but like in in terms of pitch to pitch or like over the course like it really melts away in mm-hmm. in my experience and at least at the game. And I, that's been my experience in the minor leagues as well. When when I've gone to games and had it there, it's like, oh, it's there. And then it's like, and then as soon as you're not thinking about it, you don't think about it until you look up and, and you see like, oh, I'm I'm not here in the fourth hour of this game anymore. Totally. I mean, there is just the inevitable just realizing what inning it is and being like, wow, okay. But that's, you know, in terms of the pace and how good it feels, I would say, you know, I had a little bit of different experience. I was in Cincinnati for opening day and, you know, I was working. So I was in the press box and normally like, and this is sort of kind of a transition into how we watch baseball and like what some people love about baseball, which is that you can kind of have it on the background. Now, obviously if I'm yeah. working a game, I'm paying attention to what's happening at the same time. I'm also on my computer and check, especially on opening day, checking all those other games. 
And I will say that I felt like, and this is what I'm curious for you, I was missing stuff, you know? And yeah. that's, that's, but that's on me. That's like an adjustment for everyone to make because, but like looking down more and then suddenly I missed a quick half inning or suddenly I missed this or there. Did you have any of that? I know these are low stakes games and it doesn't really feel that way, but did you feel- oh, it's just the that- Nationals, man. You don't have to call them low stakes. I mean, like- they're, hey, first, they're first win trying. of the year. They're not first win. I mean, Mackenzie so. Gore was a big deal, you know? He was. He, no, he was good. Uh, no. That's true. I Yeah. I mean, I went and got food. I, I missed like a full half inning, you know, yeah. and that was not a, a full half inning, but you know, I missed, I missed a half inning and uh, it was not particularly a long line. I mean, there were some people I had to wait a little bit. But I think those are things people are going to have to get used to. They're going to have to decide kind of, you know, how how they want to do it. I do wonder if the league isn't going to make an adjustment either maybe at the All-Star break or at the after this season and and had a few seconds because and this is one thing I actually mentioned while while we were watching the game was like Gore especially at least was thrown often at seven seconds left, you know, right after the batter's ready, eight seconds left, things like that. Uh, we've seen a number of pitchers get tagged for being re- set and ready to throw Too before fast. the batter <laughs> is, and uh, and and get penalized for that. And so I do kind of wonder if they're not just going to because guys are ready. I mean that's and I think that's great actually. Like I I would much prefer. Well, I love the pitch clock. I, I really do. Like I think it's. An improvement, and it's not because of my work. It's not because I am one of the people who love to have a game on in the background. I preemptively was lamenting during spring training, like not having the game on at one a.m. when I'm still working. Right? Like I like that company. I I wrote an ode to West Coast baseball uh, a couple years ago because I love kind of just working uh, in my office. It's late at night, but I have like I have company. I have the announcers. I have the game. That kind of thing. I really do love that aspect of things at the same time this is like the amount of downtime that it's cutting out that was nothing that was just purely nothing is really really good and so i love the pitch clock but i wish we didn't need the pitch clock i wish it was something that regulated itself that players were like ready to go and i i i'm fine if they take more time than the pitch clock currently or timer apologies uh allots them but they kind of need they, the fact is they kind of took advantage. They pushed it into this gray zone where the league wasn't comfortable and games were really dragging. And I don't just mean time of game. I mean, like the, the pace was dragging. And so it's kind of brought on themselves to some degree, mm-hmm. both batters and pitchers, to be clear. And I, I think it's a necessary thing right now. And if we can get to a place where guys are like ready to go without needing it, I'd love to get back there. But for now, I think it's really, really good in that respect. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think, too, that's the thing we're also figuring out is, of course, we've had violations. We haven't had any. I mean, we've had some really stupid stuff. Like okay. we have we had the the goofiness at the Mets Marlins where like Pete Alonzo was originally penalized for not getting back to first base after running after a foul ball that Jeff McNeil hit. And then eventually MLB apologized for that because <laughs> – I mean, I think that, and we we made this point, you know, when we previewed this before spring training, is that like everyone is figuring this out together, and that includes the umpires, and includes like older umpires yeah. who never had to deal with anything like this. And so, yes, we have a lot of younger umps in the game who've who've used to having to to you know umpire a game with the pitch timer, but um, there are a lot of little intricacies to it that we're also all figuring out. But I think the point too is it's so funny how when it was all announced, whatever last year or even you know years ago, it's like, oh my god, how are the pitchers going to handle? How are the pitchers going to handle? Maybe this is anecdotal, and I'm curious what you think about this. The starters are chilling. Basically, every starting pitcher is like, this is great. I can dictate the pace. I can keep moving. I, I like We got pitch calm. Like, I, I'm not having to think as much as the batters have to. I'm ready for this, right? The relievers, on the other hand, and I'm not just saying this because I watched the James Jack experience go both ways, but the relievers are the ones, which I think we sort of assumed they took they took longer, and there's a reason for that. There's definitely some relievers that are more rattled and have had more violations and have struggled to make that adjustment, which to me is fine. Like it, it's going to balance out. I think this has hurt batters more than it's hurt pitchers in some in some way, more than we expected. And to me, that's fun. But like, do you agree that that's what it seems that like the relievers are the ones <laughs> that are struggling in the early going? Yeah, and I think there are a couple reasons for that. I mean, first of all, you know, Pedro Baez isn't here, but his legacy <laughs> no. will last, oh, will do you last think forever. He's, I, I hope he's 
I hope he's enjoying these games. I hope he's watching being like, "Mm, not my problem anymore. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, I hope he just has a clock that's off in his house or something. It just doesn't, unbothered. Um, I I think one of the reasons that, I think it's true, regardless of of when they come in, but relievers come in with men on base, and I think that's when the game really slowed. It was one of my huge complaints. I'm never going to like the zombie runner, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'm never going to like it. But what I really hated about it was that being dropped into extra innings with a guy on second immediately absolutely killed the pace. And like, I know theoretically it was a lot like college football overtime starting on the 25 yard line, right? Scoring position, everything's ready to go. But at the same, like, it just didn't work. It didn't work the same way. I understood conceptually it was supposed to work that way, but it didn't because it everything dragged immediately because it was it, you guys checking on the runner, guys mm-hmm. mixing up signs or whatever because of the runner, all this kind of stuff, and it really slowed down. And so relievers come in with these guys on bases or a guy gets on base, and it's just their reaction is to slow it down. And I think it's a real, cult, you know, I don't, maybe not culture shock, but it's a real shock to the system mm-hmm. uh, for, for those guys. Yeah, but it also is like it does ramp it up immediately. It's like, first of all, you have, you know, Mariners fans literally counting down Karen Chak. I saw someone point out <laughs> that like if you really want to get the home field advantage, you should be counting the wrong numbers, right? And that's what the uh, basketball fans have been doing, have done before. Exactly. So, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. But of course, you know, basketball players are much more used to looking and processing a clock at all times anyway, whereas pitchers are not. And so I think there could be a tougher adjustment there. But that was great. And I think kind of an inevitable outcome for a pitcher like that for a lot of reasons. Let's talk about what the clock looks like on television. Because in person, yeah. it you know, it depends on where you're sitting. And you know, yes, it is generally everywhere and you could you could usually see where it is, but it's not like it's 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 not like you're being forced to look at it, right? Yeah. It, it, it's not. Whereas on TV, we have seen I mean, whatever we have, I know a lot of people track this. How many different, you know, with Bally plus all the different regional ones, we probably have 10 or so different baseball score bugs regularly in rotation. Right. Yeah. When you include the national broadcast for ESPN and Fox and, you know, the Yes Network and so on. Everyone's yeah, doing more. it a yeah. little. Yeah, probably more than that. So it's, everyone's doing it a little bit different. So we're not going to necessarily explain our exact favorites, but I know that there are some that caught your attention that are particularly <laughs> egregious. What, what would be your preference? Like, what is the best version of this and what is the worst so, version of showing the clock on TV? Uh, well, I love the, the Yes Network approach to not showing the clock, they don't At show all. it. That And that was my preference going in. And I don't mean to be a curmudgeon about this. I know some people like it, but I, I mentioned this in spring training. I did watch spring training. I will know. Uh, but like the in tennis, there's a serve clock. And I think a lot of people who are like either casual tennis fans or know about tennis, but aren't watching whatever, don't even know that. They don't know that there's a clock there because they never show it. And the game just moves. And, and I think there are, there's a lot of lessons to learn from MLB, uh, from tennis a little bit because like first of all they use hawkeye they they use it for everything now uh th- th- so there are a lot of uh there's a lot of relevance there i think and then like the they instituted a clock nadal was one of the the the, the biggest stars of tennis was one of the biggest problems in terms of of taking too much time and they just instituted a clock and then they never showed it. And a lot of people don't even know it's a thing and he adjusted and everyone's fine. The game moves a little faster. Everything's better. So like, I think there's something to be said for that. Number one. Go yeah, I know. I, I agree. I, I, I am mostly team just yet. Yeah, don't show it at all. I wouldn't mind it popping up with four or five seconds left. Like basically five. like I was going to say my, my otherwise I'd say like five, yeah, four or five, whatever. Like I, it seems to be every most everyone except for Bally, I think, has settled on like ten. Mm-hmm. It shows up at ten, and that drives me nuts because it's like we're still getting it basically every pitch. I kind of understand it because the batter's supposed to be set by eight. So like, if you want to have it up there, but I'm a, I'm like a little bit of a, uh, a curmudgeon, so I don't want it up there. So I'm, exactly. I'm mad about that. And and the thing we have to remember is that like the whole point. Of- <laughs> Right now, we're watching these clock things so specifically, right? Yeah. We're not supposed to be watching four clock stuff. Exactly. Right? We're not supposed to be watching and being like, oh, is the batter going to pick his head up? Like, that's not the point of any of this. We are not well, supposed and- to be. It, but right now, we are hyper aware of it. And so it feels like they want to give you all the information so that you can be fully have the context of how the players are adjusting. But I agree with you. Like, 
once everyone has already adjusted, which again, I think is going to happen really fast, like we should not have to be looking at it all the time. I, I know there are people, people I really respect who are like, I like the clock. It's another thing to to watch. It's it's there's tension to it and all this. And I'm like, no, there's a, I actually like I just want to watch the game. Mm-hmm. And exactly. I think Bally starts at 20 seconds. I, the, the the one I you said that caught my eye was uh, <laughs> SNLA for the second game of the season. They didn't do this at least the fourth game or the first game. Um, Trying they, to sneak they it in put, there. They had two clocks. They had one in the score bug, and then they were flashing up one on the mound in a big black circle that multiple people were like, did someone die? Is that like a like a patch that they put on the mound that someone passed away? And then I think uh, the White Sox broadcast was also doing it was it was a little less egregious on the mound, but they had a second smaller clock. The problem I really had with SNLA is that if you're going to put up two clocks, they have to be insane. They have to be. You cannot have them at different times. This brings up this brings up the other thing about this, which is I made this point in spring training. Back to the everyone's figuring this out at the same time. The clock starting and stopping is entirely dependent on two things: the umpire hitting it with the you know the you know sign and the opera. Like there's a lot of moving parts here that is not yeah. automated in the same way that you have in other sports. And so like, I'm not surprised that if you're trying to put as many clocks on the screen as possible, when they're all being, you know, determined by very specific and somewhat arbitrary starting points, you're going to have that mess up. So I totally agree with you. If we're going to do multiple clocks, you best be having them on, you know, in sync, please at SNLA. Ridiculous. But also just don't. Just one but is also fine. Just don't have it. That's fine. Also, you just don't have to have a clock. Um, here's the last pitch lock thing I want to say. And then we're going to take a break. Uh, oh, I, we should talk about the other new rules. So we'll get to that in a second. But we, we are going to take a break. Here's the last thing I have to say about pitch clock. And I'm curious where, where, where you're on this. And maybe there has already been progress with this. I need to have the stats. Not for how long the game is. Not for how many violations per game. I need a violations leaderboard. I need to be able to stat head at the end of the season who is leading the league in violations on both sides, every version of it. I because I've looked in, I looked in the um so for example, Rafael Devers struck out. He was, was the, the first, first was the first, first yeah. you know, automatic strikeout. And it just looks like a strikeout. I pull up his baseball reference page. Okay, he has three strikeouts, and one of them was this. I, I can't see it. If I go click into the game long, I can see if I pull up the little thing, it says automatic strikeout. But I don't know the best way to do this. So like, I realize this is challenging. I just hope that we as a baseball internet community, mostly looking at you, Sean Foreman, because you're the best, please figure this out. Um, <laughs> how can we track this? Or honestly, it should be on the MLB thing. Like MLB, you going to put this rule in? Let us track this. Like, let us know who the violations, who who the biggest violators are. Like, I because we're just, sure, we're going we're gonna to anecdotally figure out like, oh, happened to him again. Right. Like, oh, there's Karen Chak. Oh, there's Camilo Doval. Right. Like there's going to be versions of that. But like, I do want us to be really keeping track just because it's funny. And like, I, yeah. I want to have stats around violations. Every every fan base is going to have like the one or two insane people that are like, I went back and watched every pitch over the last six hours somehow. <laughs> <laughs> But this, I'm bringing this up now. I right, don't want yeah, no, to get, get three, three months into the if, season. If it's if it's marked in game day, I did not go look in game day. But if it's marked in game day and like the scoring, uh, not just in the box score, but but in the the play log kind of thing, then it's got to be on. This is this is getting getting into the weeds for some folks. It's got to be on the MLB API and probably right. or like Statcast search right like, variable. Well, so I think they might be able as long as they create a. A category for it on on either Statcast or or Bref or you know wherever like right. it's probably searchable. And that's what I'm saying, and it, and I yeah. believe it is on game day. So yeah, they're going to have to add it to the Statcast search for the pitch result. One of them has to be violation, and that's yeah. so funny. Just making like a compilation of all these will be will be amazing. So, but again, like this isn't the point of it. But if we're going to have it. I would like it to be tracked because there's just so many funny things that can come out of it. I want to be able to click as under the leader. And I don't just want the strikeouts. I want every violation. Same, same, same. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be like how many automatic strikes or automatic balls did you rack up during the season? Um, and the like percentage, right? Like highest percentage of your pitches relative to total pitches were violations. Like, Oh, there's just so, there's so much here, so much possibility. So I just wanted to mention, I hope somebody with more time and more expertise in this space can make this happen. I'm sure they will. 
We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about all of the stolen bases that have returned to Major League Baseball, talk Dodgers, and then, of course, the Hunter Renfro catch. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi, and we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. As two friends who have a collective 18 years of experience driving an IndyCar and one season of experience on Dancing with the Stars, we know what it takes to be successful on and off the track or dance floor. That's why each week we will give you a peek behind the front curtain and tell you what life is really like for professional IndyCar drivers and second place finishers on dancing television shows. Download Off Track with Hinch and Rossi on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back to Baseball Barbecast. Uh, once again, I am joined by my good friend Craig Goldstein, pinch potting for my dear friend Jake Mintz. Uh, Craig, in addition to the, of course, the pitch timer, pitch clock, whatever you prefer, uh, one of the hopes of MLB with the new rules was that we would get more action. Oh, more action. What does more action mean? More balls in play, Babbitt higher, and most importantly, guys actually attempting stolen bases. What a concept. This is a part of the game that has virtually gone extinct, even though it seems so cool and exciting to steal a base in a Major League Baseball game, even when free tacos are not at stake. That Maybe that was the problem. It, you know, there was no... More, yeah, there, more free tacos. If, if we had a little bit more incentives along those lines during the regular season, perhaps guys would be running more than just in Game 1 of the World Series. Um, but, Craig, uh, it appears to be working. And I will say that I was a little skeptical looking at just the spring training stolen base numbers because I just didn't know what the hell to make of that, right? I could look at the game times and I could even maybe look at the BABIP and be like, okay, well, like this sort of represents. I, I could not wrap my head around the motivation of stolen bases in spring training and how I'm supposed to track what is actually like a real stolen base attempt and what is not just a minor leaguer trying some shit out or, uh, you know, like it just, it just didn't mean anything to me. But here we are. It is Monday. We've seen four days of the season and we have already seen 70 stolen bases this season, which I believe is double what we were at last year, if not more than that. Um, I think this is 95% because of the clock and not because of the bases. But where are you at on this? And then anecdotally, does it feel like we're seeing more stolen bases? Because I would say yes. Like, I do feel yeah. like I am looking up and someone is still second way more often. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I, I agree. It's it's more the uh, the the clock and the, the pickoff limit mm -hmm. um, than it is the bases themselves. But I think they're a little bit hard to extricate. I mean... One of the things we had seen over the over time as bases stolen bases were declining is that the guys the guys who would steal bases were extremely efficient uh at it. And part the whole process was really efficient from pitcher to catcher to second base and the guy running from first to second was timed so specifically and and like down to the millisecond. And we saw that constantly. Guys barely beating the throw, where the throw would get him just as he arrived for the most part. That kind of thing. Well, when you add slightly bigger bases to both first and second, you change that equation a little mm -hmm. bit. That slightly, you know, if you were barely getting them out, uh, you were all of a sudden now you're safe, right? And and so we're seeing that play out a little bit. I mean, I don't know. I think I saw someone say JT Romuto had a one seven six pop time to get Marcus Semyon yesterday, and he it wasn't like he got him by a mile, and he easily got him, but it wasn't like by a mile and one seven six. No, I was gonna my, say in like, my mind is like you get them by four steps. I mean yeah. that's insanely fast. If you are the, the best catcher in the world, delivering best, almost best possible pop time, and you're barely getting him, like that kind of sums up the situation. Yeah, um, and I and again, I think yeah. that's the jump. I think that's the yeah. throws over. I think guys sure. can be more aggressive, but it it's really hard to separate out when they're barely beating throws and things like that. That the bases are part of that too. Totally, totally. Yeah, and I think that, like, I'm curious how, first of all, yeah, I mean, in that sense, it's, it's working. Like, 70 stolen bases out of 84 attempts. I mean, like, this is a, a pretty ridiculous success rate, which is which is a good thing. Now, I've definitely seen some where it's like, oh, like, he's thrown over once, once, not even twice, 
And it's like, oh, we're, we're freaking going, you know, like we're not going to wait around for this. You know, Acuna had a really funny one um, on opening day, which is great. And like, to me, that's great. That is more entertaining. Steals are steals and, and those can be fun. But there's some level of that where it's like, oh, it's like almost like an auto, an auto steal, which again, is that a bad thing? I don't think so. To me, what I'm most curious about is how aggressive are we going to get? Like, are we going to get to the point where runners are like, oh, fuck, like I, like this pitcher does not know how to not just control the running game but control the running game while also managing the clock. And now, like, it's just go, 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 go every single time. I think that'll be that'll be fascinating. Like, we're, we're, we're too short into the season to know which pitchers are even more effective than others, right? It's the same way that with the clock in general. But, like, I think we're going to get to that point where guys are just, no, like, this guy, you in the way that you could in the past where it's like, you can run on this guy. He takes a while to get to home. Now it's like, this guy cannot handle this go every single time you get at first base. And that's going to create chaos and also maybe a correction at some point if guys start getting thrown out like crazy because they're getting overly aggressive. Like, I'm I'm excited to see how far this transpires. Yeah, me too. And I, I think I think we will kind of see. We're, we're going to see. I mean, part of the reason we're in this situation to begin with is because teams kind of push the boundaries of, like, the right, you know, you figure out kind of the amount you need to do things at, at an optimal level, right? And some of that, I know... Russell Carlton for baseball perspectives wrote forever ago about guys should be sent home more often from, you know, on, on base hits, trying to run home, challenge runners, things like that. Teams didn't do that as much. And those are big swings, scoring a run versus not. This is a little, a little less of a, of a mm-hmm. kind of impacting the, the uh, run expectancy kind of thing. But I, I do think like not to transition into Dodger chat, but like, I was curious what Noah Syndergaard was going to do. Cause Noah Syndergaard was like, to me, the guy that seems would just gut. Like you're gone. Like he took he took so long to deliver to the plate that it was like I don't remember was the Marlins when he was with the Mets. It was like the Marlins games where they'd rack up like eight stolen bases. Oh yeah, John Birdie things just like that running circles around him. <laughs> and and so I was like with like a pitch clock and limited pickoffs. Like what's that look like? Like are we getting double digits or something like that? He didn't allow many base runners, so it, he avoided it that way. But it, that's coming at some point, and oh, he's yeah. gonna have to figure it out. And I actually think that's like. That's cool. You're introducing it like everyone. It felt to me like a little bit that in, in baseball had kind of like we've I don't know that they figured all of baseball out or anything like that. But like it's kind of like a, a a game meta where it was like we know that we know what to do here and we're just going to settle in and do it. And now it's like, let's let's repro like now I have to change my whole like it's it's like a, in a video game. If there's downloadable content or like yeah. an expansion <laughs> yeah. pack to a board game where it's like. Oh, we've introduced a new element. Uh, the things you're used to doing, you just have to execute well. That might actually not be the optimal thing anymore. You have to figure out how to kind of rebuild from scratch uh, your approach to this. But also, like, you're talking, and understandably, like, you're talking about this from the standpoint of the teams, right? But yeah. remember, all of this is for us. All of the all of these changes are, are totally. supposedly for the fans. And a guy running or being more likely to run is infinitely more interesting than a guy diving back to first base 17 times, right? That's just that Absolutely. simple. Pickoff throws are the most, like are up there, or were up there <laughs> now that they've been limited for the one of the most boring parts of baseball. It's, it's that simple. And I know if you play baseball and you, 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 have, you have a coach, you play college, like it is important. Like controlling the running game is important. There is a reason you throw over however many times to keep guys close. Like we get it. The point is, is if you're a fan, you don't really care about that. You would like to see some interesting baseball thing happen and running, even if it's way overly aggressive and taking some crazy lead, like that is all more fun and more entertaining than the other thing. But to your point, yeah, I mean, these teams are gonna have to figure this out. Um, last thing on the steals uh, is we still have five teams, sorry, four teams that have yet to attempt stolen base. Now to be fair, they haven't been on base that often, but what are we doing guys? <laughs> like the Marlins, I believe they led the league. You have in John Birdie. You have John Birdie. Like, I know. Like, how are we not? I can't believe it. The Mar- Marlins, Royals, Tigers, Twins have not attempted to steal yet. Is it like, especially for the Royals and Marlins, who like usually normally are stealing tons of bases. Are they looking around? They're like, wait a minute. You guys are doing what? This is this is our shit. Are we, is this, is it supposed to be this easy? We're just supposed to go. Well, again, first you got to reach base. So that's maybe been a struggle for some of these teams so far. But I just hope that they can they can figure it out and leave it to the Nationals. Also, they've at least attempted one, but they have been caught. So <laughs> five teams, I, five teams without a steal so far, which is so funny because it's like that should not be that. This would never. I, mean, look, have been I think if, if if thirty five year old David Peralta is running and he was thrown out by the way, but 
if he's running, like these teams can run. Like I know John, to your point, John Birdie only on base once, but he should have been running when he was on base. I don't, <laughs> I don't get, I, I mean, like it really does seem like it's going to be an explosion in, in the raw numbers overall. And I, and I think that's fine. I, I look, I, I said this the whole time. I, I am, I don't love limiting pitchers abilities to, to control this uh, kind of thing, but aesthetically as a fan taking it in there's very little downside to this like to to me like and and i feel the same way about the shift ban or or keeping guys on you know on the infields i don't like telling the the defenses so directly where you can and can't stand Mm -hmm. that kind of i think teams should be able to try and solve the game Mm -hmm. uh and and that people should have to react and stuff like that um but they weren't doing that and i think even if i feel that way um you know, philosophically, I'm against it. Am I going to be mad that like there are more hits to to right field? Like, no. Like a, as it plays out, I'm not like, oh, that the shift would have gotten. Like, no, it's fine. right. I'm oh, seeing extra I base hits. I'm seeing way base more runners. Fun. I'm seeing, except if you're on the Marlins or or Royals, I guess I'm seeing guys get on base and then try and run. I I also think like it could impact um, roster building. Like, are, are teams going to because they're limited to 13 pitchers right now? Are you going to see that 13th man be someone who can run? Are we going to get back to some of that? I don't, at least when I grew up, I know we have a little bit of an age gap. You know, there's a guy that came in in the eighth or ninth inning at the end of games. He was there to steal a base. Where's Terrence Gore? You know, Terrence Gore is always in the minors and always winning World Series. But like, is he on a roster all season because he can fly around the bases and get immediately into scoring position? That kind of thing. I would assume so. Uh, Last thing on the steals, then we'll get to the Dodgers. Do you know what the who the team was with the most steals last year and how many, and the team with the least steals and how few in 2022? You don't have to know I, how, how, who it was, but like, so the Marlins were second, by the way. Okay, I was going to um, say, I know Birdie led the league with like 40. Marlins were second, so first, first in the NL. The Rangers last year stole 128 bases. Okay. The Orioles are already at 10 this year, okay? So, yeah, Jorge Mateo had five. In the first and there you go. I saw that. Uh, the Minnesota Twins last year were last in stolen bases. Would you like to guess how many they stole? They played 162 games, Craig. <laughs> they played 162 games. Um, and they, okay. this year they appeared you to still said, have zero You said interest. the top end was like 100 something, the Rangers? 128 was the top end. So how many last year? For, for the Twins. Uh, I'm going to say 22. 38. 38 but it's been it's been below 30 like within the last 10 years like we've seen that i think the tigers i think the orioles have had seasons like that so yeah no like you said the numbers are going to be completely out of i don't want to compliment rob nambrit okay i want the no I'm kidding. it's fine. but this these are i think these are good changes ultimately yeah i, I really do yep i agree i'm with you um speaking of good changes question mark the dodgers sure look different craig goldstein <laughs> that is your favorite team and coming into the season was like oh my god they are only projected not for 100 wins. You know, some sites said 88, some sites said 94, some sites, some yeah. gambling, you know, Vegas was still like 96 and a half or whatever. 95, yes. 95 96, and a half. Yeah. Um, but they certainly were not projected for the 111 that they won a year ago. Not that any team ever would be. They are two and two so far this season. Uh, the first thing we need to talk about is Trace Thompson at three home runs. And Trace Thompson, I guess here's, here's how I'll phrase this question. You have seen a good number of Dodgers revelations over the last 10 years, right? You've seen, of course, Max Muncy, you know, Muncy and Turner, you know, front and center there. Where does Thompson's, I guess, breakout? I mean, he's been unbelievable now dating back to what, June, right? Yeah, Um, he was nuts for them last year. By the way, my favorite thing about Trace Thompson is that he played, am I, yes, he played for the Padres in 2022. Yes, briefly. Went Which to the Tigers just... minor league system. This is I, this adds to it, in my opinion. Yes. Oh, one hundred percent. Couldn't yeah. crack the Tigers. Yes, outfield, but the twenty twenty two Detroit Tigers offensive. He he couldn't crack that team. They were like not good enough, not good enough. But and then he was on the Padres, or, or I guess was it Padres then Tigers? It, I think then? it was Padres. He opened the season. I think he with, cra- Like I think he with opened the Padres the with the Padres, and then yes. Went he to was Detroit. bad for yep. a week, down with the Tigers, and then they were like, "Sorry, it's just we can't find room for you, man." Um, even though he was killing it in Toledo, I'm wearing my Toledo Mudhens hat. You know, he was crushing it down there. They were like, ah, "Sorry, but no. we got too many guys." So, 
<laughs> Maybe you could go find somewhere else. Dodgers were like, ah, I'll give it a shot. And then, as we know, he is incredible last season, 901 OPS, 74 games. And then now he has a three-homer game at the start of this year. So where does this rank in the in the pantheon of, of Dodgers pulling unbelievable players out of nowhere? I mean, not in terms of the most how likely it is, but like for your personal enjoyment, where is this? Where is this up there? So Trace Thompson's story for me is mostly one of like disbelief, both both in kind of projecting forward, which is which is a little bit dour, but also what I've seen, which is it I, I I'm amazed by what he is, as you said, like he couldn't crack the Padres, couldn't crack the, the Tigers. And then he comes to the Dodgers and he's just incredible all of last year. Uh, slugging an absolute ridiculous amount. And some of that is like, he just hits the ball so damn hard. Uh, at some point last season, I, I pulled the numbers and he, at the time he was fourth in the league. If you lower the threshold enough to, to get to his number of plate appearances behind Jordan, uh, Stanton and judge, not in any particular order, but he, he was fourth there. I think it was 94 miles per hour average exit velocity at the time. He, I think he ended up a, a little bit lower. And like, one of the reasons is that again, like he, he's going to end up lower because I, I don't really believe any of this. I mean, he can hit the ball really hard. He strikes out an absolute ton last year. It was, uh, it, it was thir- over 30%. Um, this year he's, it, it, or sorry, it was 36% last year. It's like ridiculous. I, you're walking that line, right? Like it's kind of like a, a Joey Gallo kind of thing where like, are you making enough contact to do the damage? You do damage when you hit it, but are you going to hit it enough? So like, I don't think he's like a long-term guy like Muncie or, or, or someone like that, but, or, or Justin Turner, which was that started kind of before the Dodgers, but they reap the benefits that I, I don't think he's like a long-term play like that. But as long as he hits the ball enough, you're going to see stuff like this. So, well, I guess my question is like, yeah, okay, maybe he's not a long-term thing, but he seems pretty important to this team. Like, I, I, but, and, well, and, but maybe I'm overrating good, Jordan. that. <laughs> no, I know. So maybe I'm overrating <laughs> that. Maybe, maybe there are other things that I know Outman's look good and, and, you know, we're at a platoon situation, but let's zoom out a little bit farther. Like, where was your like this was the the most down on the Dodgers the general public has been since I don't know you could probably tell me better than than, than I could <laughs> like the last time we've been this relatively low on a team at the same time you look at them and you're like nah, they're still pretty freaking good guys like let's let's relax I know the standard has been set extremely high so I would yeah. say my question for you is as a Dodgers fan is which part of the team concerned you the most? As an actual fan of the team who knows it better than the average people just looking at the roster for a couple minutes, which element of the team, regardless of what happened this weekend, um, but you can maybe tie it in, uh, concerned you the most? Is it that Trace Thompson is like a very yeah. important offensive piece or is it something else? No, it, it's it's the outfield in general. I mean, like we, we have Chris Taylor. Again, you didn't watch spring training. Spring training isn't worth a ton, but this is a guy who really struggled. The second half of last year, I was gonna say I watched last year and he was yeah. bad. <laughs> well, it, but but I guess spring training it was like, is he going to be any better? Uh, and the answer was like uh, he had a couple home runs towards the end of it, but he was striking out like fifty percent of the time uh, for most of spring training. That's a real concern, right? Like this this guy was supposed. What I thought it was crucial that they keep him when they when they extended him. I thought I was really happy about that because of all the the holes that he fills on the team. But you can't fill any holes if you're not hitting at all. Like, it just doesn't it doesn't matter as much. And they don't have a center fielder. I mean, like, Trace Thompson is out there in center field. James Altman, maybe more of a center fielder, a li- maybe a little bit stretched. Really good in a corner, probably a little bit stretched in center. So I, I, the outfield between that and they, they signed David Peralta and you've got Jason Hayward and you're like, what are we doing? Like, there's a lot of guys here, but, like, are any of them actually – going to help you like fill out a lineup, like really fill out a lineup. And I, and I think the thing about the Dodgers is they are so, when you start a lineup with Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, Max Muncy, you're, you're fine. Like you're not going to be bad, but everything after that, especially with Lux getting hurt early in spring training is question marks. It's and and the upside of the Dodgers is those question marks can be answered in the form of really good players. M- Miguel Vargas I didn't know if he could play second base heading into the season. He seems like he's going to be okay mm-hmm. based on spring training and what I've seen so far. He's looked really good at the plate. 
Uh, all that not swinging early in spring training, carrying over. He's got really, like seven or eight walks already this year. Um, he looks like a real player. And that's and that's and he's answering that question. And I think the other thing the Dodgers have is they have a really deep system. So if, if Miguel Vargas wasn't working, maybe you try Michael Bush. And Michael Bush has a better chance of working than a lot of other teams' second or third options. So all of that is like the Dodgers' advantage. But for the first time in a long time, they have the questions that – they generally didn't. And yet, so to your to your question, Trace Thompson being a big part of that was it was a real concern. I was worried they were going to send James Outman down. And I think he's mm-hmm. honestly one of their better answers. And if we were going to see Trace Thompson in in the lineup every day, every day instead of a kind of a soft platoon role, like again, 36% strikeout rate, that concerns me because it's it is boom or bust. But you know, buddy, I want I, I'd rather honestly like it's a lot of boom. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of boom, but like, what's the rest of the week look like? Yeah. And we and we saw it, right? Like the Dodgers, I ate eight runs the first night, and I was like, "We're back, like we never even left, right?" Like this team, it's fine, it's fine. We're here. Um, next night you lose two to one. Then then they they score double digit runs. Next night you lose two to one. So if it's gonna be boom or bust, like the, I think the consistency is what's gonna kind of haunt this team. Mm-hmm. And some of that is honestly. This is maybe counterintuitive, but it's interesting. It's maybe more engaging as a fan. I want to know how James Outman is doing. I want to know. Welcome how back Miguel to Vargas reality. Answers Craig. the question. What's that? <laughs> Where your your favorite team has real issues and like has some adversity to deal with. You know, like your team. Oh, you have some question marks in the lineup. Oh, wow. <laughs> Welcome back to Earth. Craig. Yeah, I know. It's like. <laughs> It's like the, I don't know, there's that friend slide. It's like your your diamond shoes and you've got too many 50s in your wallet or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, but it is like. My no, I know. That's been your reality. We're so, we're so high every year that like anything was a disappointment. Right? No, I know. No, I'm saying, it's, look, this is no, total true. like Yankee fan behavior. But it's but it's true. You have but to, they like, earned it. you want to expect more. What are we supposed to say? They just won 111 games. Like I don't blame you. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not. It's not not worth. It's not isn't deserved. Like I get it. It's just funny. It's just like it's, funny, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's yeah. it's complete first world problems, whatever you want to call it. Like it's it is. Thing. Yeah, because it's that combined with the fact that there are still parts of this roster that are absolutely nuts. <laughs> so yeah. and you do still have real depth, like Michael Bush, like all these guys, like real guys that you can be excited me, about turning me, to. Let me throw something at you because this was this was what was on my mind heading into the season as a worry mm-hmm. about, about the lineup. Who was the last hitter the Dodgers developed that was like a like a premium hitter? So, like signed developed? and drafted? Uh, it, I mean, I you know you can count Max Muncy, right? He like he wasn't sure amazing with another team, and he was with them. I don't know how what your standards are, but I mean, Will Smith seems like the answer. Will Smith is the answer. Will right. Smith is in his fourth season. Right. Right. Oh, I see what you mean. So it's like, okay, who's, but that's, but here's everyone says, oh, it's the Dodgers, but you go even go look at the guys that they traded. Hebert Ruiz, interesting, but not, not really. <laughs> but they traded them. That's the point. Yeah. No, they, oh, sure. No, credit to the front office. But I'm right. just saying, if you're looking at the team and saying, like, oh, they develop bats, well, sure, the last sure, one was four seasons ago. This is, this is the wave, though. Like, now we prove it. This is it. This is the season where they're testing themselves by saying, I agree. we're fine. We got Outman. We got Bush. We got Vargas. We got whoever else that you haven't even thought about yet. You know, whatever is what's his name, Drew Avans or something. Okay, like, <laughs> I don't. I don't think we're counting Drew Avans. I don't okay, think that. Counts. But I'm just saying, there's guys in AAA with numbers that other teams would dream of having. Okay, that's yes. what I'm saying. And, yeah. No. Uh, now we are testing it. You're right. It's a fair point. But again, you're still in a in a position to turn to these guys with much better than. Most teams, so absolutely can't feel absolutely. too bad. Uh, last Dodgers thing, and then we're going to fly through some of our other favorite moments of the weekend, and then say goodbye. Dustin May is so good. Oh. I mean, Luigi. Like, I wrote, I wrote about him. Uh, yes, our Waluigi friend. I wrote about him a little bit. At Fox is one of my most interesting players for the season, just from the standpoint of like he didn't. He he mostly looked like himself last year, but we didn't. We, we it was not a full you know like let him let it eat you know Dustin May, and now. Because of all the injuries, like we need him to be back to peak Dustin May, you know, how incredible he was, not just in 20, but at the beginning of 21 before he blew out. And yep, 
I mean, it sure looked like it. Like, I, I again, who knows if he's going to throw 200 innings. And I know Dave Roberts has been a little coy about, okay, are we going to slow him down? Are we going to – but, man, like, I, he's someone that from a ceiling-wise, from a kinds of pitcher, like, that I do feel like he kind of got lost in the shuffle and he is going to be a very – more important than Trace Thompson, I would say, in that sense. <laughs> and kind of raises the ceiling, I would say, even higher if he can be that good. Because I know they lost that game. Uh, but he's uh, he was incredible though. It's yeah. the first time he's ever pitched into the seventh inning. In, so there you go in, as a major leaguer, and that's Which a big was, deal. Yeah, he was he was often the guy he would get that second time through the lineup, and he'd be good. And because he doesn't miss as many bats, he's a big ground ball guy. They turned him from. It's really interesting. They changed him from. He was drafted as kind of the prototypical development in in terms of modern baseball: high fastball, hammer curveball down, and they turned him into. East-West sinker, uh, slider, cutter. It's kind of a slurve, slider kind of thing, whatever you want to call it. And it worked. Like, they completely changed him kind of contra the the way the trends were going. And it worked. And and it looked like he wasn't going to miss bats. And then, as you said, like, 2021 early season, missing tons of bats. The slurve is there, that kind of thing. I, I think the big thing for him is command and he will get dinked and dunked. And that's mm-hmm. kind of, again, that third time through the lineup, you'd see him. It's not even hard hit, anything like that, but he just get traffic and they, they pull the emergency shoot, go to the bullpen kind of thing. I think this year they're going to have to trust him yeah. to your point. Like they're, they have to, because of, you know, I, the, the other question I had on this team was the pitching, not, not mm-hmm. Urias, not Syndergaard, but what is Dustin May going to look like? Mm-hmm. How is Noah Syndergaard going to look? Mm-hmm. And, and you can point to a lot more recent success on the pitching side, what they did with Andrew Heaney, what they did with Tyler Anderson, all of that kind of stuff. And, but, but Syndergaard wasn't really, you know, he said, I'm going to come back and throw 99. And then that last week <laughs> nope. of spring training, he said, I was never really trying to throw 99. Like, I, I, oh, that you was thought never I was really serious? a thing. Like, I don't know who said that. Um, and it's like, you said that, but that's fine. Uh, but he came out and he was good and he was good. And if, if the pitching is going to be this good, if they, if they lose every game two to one and win every game 10 to 10 to two or whatever it is, <laughs> like they're going to be a good team. That's hashtag analysis for everyone. There you right go. Now. There you go. But, but yeah, I, I, he's, May is going to be crucial. I think he's going to have to go deeper into games. I really, he didn't miss bats in terms of strikeouts, but the stuff was there. The spin rate on the on the breaking ball, that looked real. I, I think he's going to be in for a big season. Totally agree. All right. We have arrived at the end of our show. But listen, I know we talked rules. We didn't talk too much specific stuff I wanted to give. I wasn't going to ask Craig Coos to not let him, you know, yell about James Outman. So that seemed only fair. Um, but because we had so much action over the last few days, I did want to just run through just some of our favorite moments. So, Craig, let's just begin with a very basic category. I don't know if this is something we will keep on uh, going in, in the um in the show moving forward. But let's start with the very basic category of home runs that made us say, holy shit. Uh, let's begin with the one on opening day, the one that O'Neill Cruz hit off of Hunter Green, 101 miles an hour uh, down the middle, 100, I believe, and 11 miles an hour off the bat. I was in person for this. Um, O'Neill is very different. Him homering off Hunter Green felt like to the point where I was recording it from the press box. Like I was ready for this because I don't normally record uh, at bats at major league games when I'm working, but I was like, this seems like something that could probably happen. And then, whoppa, you know, gone, you know, you know, teleported into the seats. I mean, it was it was special. It was like the exact possible thing that you could hope to see from O'Neill against Hunter Green. O'Neill is, I mean, different is the right word. Like I, th- there's, there's a trope online of like the, or, or the, you know, the, the sound is different off this guy's bat. The trajectory is different exactly. off this guy's bat. I mean, it's exactly. Stantonian. It's what, you know, whatever Aaron judge, like all these, it's just like, it never looks right. Even I think honestly, my favorite for him are non homers because you watch the fielders take a normal route and, and somehow like, oh, the ball is just, it's like, Oh God. Like, yeah, it jumps on them or it's like by them. And they're like, exactly. wait, what happened? These exactly. guys, these are elite athletes. Okay, it's the NL Central, but they're mostly elite athletes. They are. And, they and are. they're like, what just happened here? And uh, so like to see him versus Hunter Green, I mean, to your point, Hunter Green, I mean, all the velo in the world, but the fastball is arrow straight a right. lot of the time. So you could kind of anticipate this. This was, I, no one hits, almost no one. I, I made a tweet about this, but almost no one. It's home runs that make me say like, holy effing 
shit. Yes. More than O'Neill Cruz. Exactly. And it's only like in that ballpark too, where I don't know if you've been there, but like, you know, it's sitter friendly to, to left hand hairs, but like, it just looks and feels so short. Like when you watch BP there, the level of effort it takes to hit it up into like the middle of those seats is so small. Like, like I was watching G-Man Choi just kind of flick <laughs> balls into the seats because again, it looks like, again, obviously you say Yankee Stadium and that's true too, but there's something about Cincinnati and just like the way that a ball carries. And so for that yeah. Cruz one to just be on such a line to the middle of those seats, it was just, it was incredible. So O'Neill's amazing. You mentioned Stantonian there. Giancarlo hit a 485 foot home run. I believe right after Aaron Judge hit his second of the year. I mean, if you're designing a pitch for Giancarlo to hit 485 feet, I mean, Ross Stripling really served one up there. It was a pretty horrific pitch. But it landed in a part of Yankee Stadium. You're not, that's not, that's not like in the splash zone, as they say, right? I don't think I've ever seen a ball land there. And like, you could have told me that was 500 feet plus. And I'd be like, all right. Yeah. 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 Stanton, again, I mean, like that, this is a, that's, that's to me, the guy. The guy. He's just like the most insane home runs. And the best thing about him is he isn't swinging very hard. (laughs) Like, I guess he is. He is swinging. Uh, He is. He he, he is. Sorry. Let let, let me rephrase that. Unlike O'Neill or like, you know, guys with leg kicks and a lot of moving parts, and like, it's like this kind of smooth, like, symphony of movement towards contact, right? Where you're using every bit of your body to like uncork this. It is the opposite of a stand. Stan, he is just kind of swiping like his upper half is just turning on the ball. And because he is the strongest man alive, it is just, <laughs> it is, it is launching in ways that you just do not see other hitters able to. Launch. Yeah, it it is. I don't, I'm like going to tennis again, where it's, I'm not even a tennis expert. I don't know. But like you watch, you watch uh, uh, Nadal and like he, he torques up for his forehand and you see all the spin on it and that kind of stuff. Whereas like Federer, or I'm sure there are better examples, but like Federer was efficiency of movement, right? Like his footwork was right. He got in the right place and he just like hit it. And like, he still hit it really hard. Right. And he, and like, that's the thing to Stanton to me is like, it is supreme efficiency of movement. It's like, he's still, and then it's this short swing. And as you said, like the, just the pure strength that he has is it's sometimes hard to see strength in a player's swing and and like I think he hides it really well, but then the it flies off the bat in such a way that it's just like unreal. And the homer he hit on Saturday, the ones he hits oppo into the seat, like into the short porch, are also like poking it. I mean, it's one eleven, but it's like poking it <laughs> like Bro, the other way. His and opposite just, field home runs are my favorite. Yeah, I think that's like if you if I had to if we we're drafting home run styles, like John Carlos Stan opposite field laser beams. Yep, are my favorite. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, Lana whispers about, oh, he's, he has only played two spring training games. Oh, his hands hurt. Like I kept hearing people being like, oh man, like Astros Altuve. And then in the same sentence, they'd be like, you know, and Jordan, you know, he's kind of hurt too. Like watch out for the Astros. I'm like, bro, you fucking his, kidding me? Like he's Jordan's, fine. Jordan's hands are always hurt and it doesn't. Jordan's everything. His knees, he had surgeries on both knees. Like that is, that is supposed to be like doom for a major league career. And honestly, honestly, I think this is like kind of veering off into like, un, I don't need to bring this up. I have to imagine some part of the extension that he signed was that his medical is probably terrible. Like yeah. I have to imagine that it, when you look at the extension time with the Astros and be like, what the fuck? He might be the best hitter in the world. Why is he only getting whatever five, one ten or whatever it was? It's like the dude had surgery on both knees before turning 25. Like that is not supposed to be like a player you're betting on issues. And yeah. yeah and yeah. hands like he's, he's had at the same time. I think he's okay. <laughs> like the he's, ball, I, again, he's, like, I, he's unbelievable. He's, he did, he did again. And he had the, the basis clearing double. And then I, he's, he's unreal. You don't have to tell me, obviously I'm a Mariners fan. I feel it, but it's like, abs- he's, he's the best. An absolute freak. Uh, as a Dodgers fan, just, you know, thank God we had Josh field. Yeah, that's that, true. That Fields long. was huge. You know, that, yeah. It was really, that's really the, good. And, and you uh, think he actually about was Dodgers, pretty good for the Dodgers, but the Dodgers lineup now, right. You know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> uh, yeah, they could, they might, might could use, uh, Jordan Alvarez. Yeah, I again, I, I said this online, but like it, it's Cruz and Alvarez are, I said like their home runs are in a death match, uh, each trying to make me say, sweet fucking Jesus, faster and louder. <laughs> like they, it's just when he, when, when Jordan turns on one, 
And just, again, some of it is that that Astros wall is pr- in pretty, but it just, it's, I mean, majestic well, we went second doesn't down, so do it, it really matter. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, yes, it's a little short. It's like, it's fine. He's proven well, it. But I think it. the visual of it, right? Yes. It just feels That's like true. it goes even further than mm-hmm. maybe it does. But like, it also went so far in the first place. Again, like majestic just doesn't even do it justice. Mm-hmm. Nope. Totally agree. Uh, Xander Bogarts, he had a big homer to, uh, to left field. Uh, CJ Crone is leading the big leagues with three homers, a tie with Trace Thompson, of course. Um, CJ Crone, you know, everyone's favorite NL only fantasy player. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, we had some some great homers. Maybe not, you know, the ball doesn't, hopefully not as juiced as it is in D1 baseball right now, but it's nice to see that we're still getting uh, some exciting home runs. Um, Craig, we're over an hour, so I, I want to finish with one thing, and that is, uh, listen, I'm going to save the Ryan McKenna Orioles stuff I'm gonna save that for Jake. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna move that to the side. We'll save the Orioles Red Sox. I know I'm sure people so, want sorry, people wanted Jake. to hear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but I <laughs> I know people want to hear Jake talk about that, not us. So we'll we'll, we'll save that. Um, but I do want to finish with the Hunter Renfro catch, and also that series in general. I mean, A's Angels was very goofy. Um, we have the the of course the classic tungsten game where Otani's amazing and. Totani, I believe, <laughs> Sarah Langs had the stat. I think 26th pitcher ever with 10 strikeouts and no walks on opening day. First time that the team lost. Perfect. Yeah. Right. And it was the perfect kind of loss. This is the, it was another great example of like the ways that the Angels lose. You know, you, it, you know, it's like, oh no, but their pitching's not that bad. It's like, yeah, no, I know, but it's like they're, it's the, they're but, finding but, the way to lose these games, right? It's not necessarily that they're getting blown out, it's that they're finding ways to lose games. But hey, credit to them. They remembered who they were playing for those next two games and kicked the crap out of probably the worst team in baseball in Oakland. Um, I, I'm so in on Fujinami. I know it went off the rails in the third <laughs> inning, but oh, no. I, I, I know it was a total mess and I know Waller no. didn't exactly help him out. But those Jordan. first two innings were so good. And I, listen, Jordan. as I tweeted, no. recently tune into the A's. Oh, Craig's shaking his head. He doesn't, he, no. he's not buying it. I, listen, I, I'm, I'm in on him as fun or interesting. That's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm not there on good. I, uh, <laughs> I, the the, the control, the, yeah, no, look, the splitter is fun. Yeah. That's fine. I'm just, to me, I, again, why else am I tuning into Oakland? I, well, that is a great the reason. Um, that said, uh, the Hunter Renfro catch was was the play, the, probably the play of the weekend, one of the plays of the season. You know, the Gary Matthews Jr. catch stands out as, I know Michael A. Taylor had one actually last year too of a home run robbery where he's not looking at the ball. And while this was not a home run robbery, it was one of the craziest plays we've ever seen. But the best part about this one is that he, he fucked up multiple times <laughs> in the play and then made the play, which as a tr- which to me was a great tribute to Johannes Cespedes, who has, you know, done that many times in his outfield career. Um, you know, screwing up in order to make an even more amazing play on the back half. Uh, this was this was amazing. This was one of the best catches I've ever seen, even if it was clearly the uh, product of a mistake. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the whole dumb and dumber thing, right? Like, <laughs> I, just when I think you possibly couldn't be any dumber, you you totally redeem yourself. <laughs> I, the, the man was not looking. And like, I, again, like sometimes like you estimate and then you're not looking whatever there. I don't think that there was any estimating going on in at any point in whatever Hunter Renfro was doing. But that's the thing. Like, there's a version of this highlight where he doesn't even put his glove up because he knows he screwed up. And it's like, I misplayed this. This is going to get to the wall. Like, I, but instead oh, he's the, like, the well, Jaron Duran, like, I've missed it and I've, I'll just stand here at this point. So someone else will get it. <laughs> well, I mean, he's, you know, he was running, but he clearly, it felt like he clearly had, had realized he was not in the right place, you know? Yeah. Um, and yet, he was like, eh, I'll see what happens. Oh, okay, I caught it. <laughs> so uh, it was it was tremendous. Honestly, and one of the best like, and worst plays I've ever seen in my life. Exactly. All which in is, one. Which is why it deserves it deserves mention on this podcast. Um, I think we're going to cut it here because we don't want to go too long. We will be back on Wednesday. Uh, Craig, this was an absolute delight. Thank you so much for joining me on this pinch hit edition of Baseball Barbacast. Uh, please plug anything uh, that you would you would like to plug. Uh, other, please, I mean... BP, whatever, whatever you want to do. And then I'll, I'll, I'll close this out. Yeah. Uh, base, oh, thank you for having me first and foremost, uh, baseball prospectus. We are a website online. It is subscription. It's, it's pretty cheap. I think for what you're getting, I totaled it out two cents an article. If you're an annual subscriber over the course of a year, uh, it's under $4 a month right now. Really good value. Uh, we do prospects, we do fantasy, we do research and development, every, everything you want, uh, analysis, all that kind of thing. Uh, we also have a book out 
We have uh, the Baseball Perspectives Annual. It's still relevant this early in the season. The essays are great. The writing is good. Jordan has written for it. Jake has written for it. Um, we get comments uh, for every player, projections, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that is available. So, yeah, just check out Baseball Prospectus. And, uh, yeah, I th- again, thank you for having me on here. Get you a BP annual. Relevant all season. It's just great to pull up. And then, I, honestly, it becomes even more relevant after the year. And you're going back and being like, ooh, how how wrong how was my was comment? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's, let's see what how, how wrong was my comment. Uh, but, yes, so thank you, Craig. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you to Chris Tyler for producing this episode of Baseball Barbercast. Uh, a couple other quick notes. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-Cast. I know we've not done emails in a while, but now once we're getting into the three times a week cadence, we will definitely be getting to more of those. Our live event is on Saturday. Oh my goodness, five days away in Baltimore, 5 p.m. before the game outside of section 771, formerly Sliders Bar across from Camden Yards. More details coming about that, so stay tuned for that. Otherwise, you can get uh, BBCast merch at podswag.com slash baseball. Craig, we should probably send you some. Um, but uh, we have uh, we got stuff you can check out, water bottles and shirts and sweatshirts and all kinds of fun stuff there. So check that out. But until Wednesday, uh, we appreciate you listening, and we'll talk to you very soon. Sirius XM Podcasts. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.